Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to Torah Perspectives for today. This is our last Parsha class until after Pesach. Not because I'm taking a break, but you're taking a break, we're taking a break. Next week is Pesach, so there is no Parsha that we read next Shabbos, or the Shabbos after is still Pesach. So two weeks are Yantif reading, and then we'll resume the Parsha following Pesach, and we will resume learning it together. Very much looking forward to that. I want to thank our series sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family member David Grossman, in memory of Becky's father, Lili Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Monash. Very grateful to their generosity and their sponsorship. This week we have the privilege of reading and studying Parshas Mitzorah, page 620, in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, very much continuing the theme of last week's Parsha. Hold on, I left my notes in the other room. You can still hear me. So what should I tell you? We had a great dinner last night. Okay, still here. First time, I'm, st- I'm tired. I'm tired, I'm tired, you have to forgive me. I knew something was missing. Something was up. Okay, we begin the beginning. Perikidala Pasagal, the beginning of Parshas Mitzorah. Usually we read Tazri and Mitzorah together. This year, because of the leap year, we read them separately, which gives us the opportunity to study them separately as well. This is the law of the Mitzorah on the day of their purification. They are brought to the Kohen. The Kohen goes outside the camp. It's very instructive. The Tolna Rebbe has a beautiful piece where he talks about the responsibility of leadership. You picture this Kohen, those who learn the daf, particularly in Chagiga, spent a lot of time reminding ourselves of the Kohen's awesome responsibility and enormous knowledge he had to possess, not just the Kohen, the average person, in order to preserve the sanctity of their food, in order to protect themselves from tumma, from impurity. It was an awesome responsibility and there was a lot they had to know. So this Kohen, this Kohen is incredibly careful not to expose himself to contamination, not to become impure, maybe isolates himself in the ivory tower of the base medrash of serving Hashem the Avoda. And yet, this Mitzorah, the individual who gossiped, who slandered, who therefore needs to be quarantined outside the camp, who goes to him? It relies exclusively on the Kohen. Leadership is going out to the people. Leadership is coming off your high horse and your perch. Leadership is coming out of your ivory tower. Leadership is a willingness to become contaminated, to purify others. Leadership is being there. Sympathy and empathy and being no se ba'olam chavero. The Kohen goes v'yatsa Kohen on mechutz l'machana. The Kohen goes out mechutz l'machana. I want to uh, begin. I don't remember whether I did this last year or not. If I did, it's good chazara. If I didn't, it's well worth it to look at it together. But the Medrash on this Pasuk, Zostia Torah HaMetzorah. This is the Torah of the Metzorah. The Metzorah has his own Torah. Not a separate Chas Shalom Torah competing with our own. We don't mean to suggest the Metzorah has a separate independent or parallel Torah. We mean these are the laws. This is the prescription. This is the formula for the Metzorah. And the Medrash on these words tells us, Amr Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Chamesh Torahs Ksuvus Metzorah. There are five Torahs that are written when it comes to the Mitzorah. Zos Torahs Negatzaras, Zos Tia Torahs HaMetzorah, Zos Torahs Asherbo Negatzaras, Zos HaTorah Lechol Negatzaras, Zos Torahs HaTzaras, Zos Tia Torahs HaMetzorah, HaMotzi Shemra Lulamedcha, Shekola Omer Lashon Hara Over, Al Chamisha Chumshei Torah. 
The word Torah is used five times in the context of the Mitzorah, the one who abuses the power of speech. No less than five times do we use the word Torah in association. The The reason we introduce with the word Torah is because five times Moshe Rabbeinu is Mazir. This is the law. What does one thing have to do with the other? Rav Druk. You should have a complete and speedy refuah shleima. The great Rav Druk, the Eish Tamed. That's why I don't think we got to it last year. I don't remember. Again, if we did, it's good chazara. Mavor b'medrash davar chomer v'nora. Kilekach tarach ha'kasa l'shanos chamesh toras parshas mitzora. Lo diach ha'shekol ha'omer l'shanara overach ha'misha chomshay Torah. The word Torah is used five times in order to communicate to us and in order to emphasize for us that of the Mitzorah, the individual who gossips, who slanders, who misuses that power of speech, who is insensitive and cruel and hurtful and harmful, such an individual has violated the entire Chamisha Chumshei Torah. We spoke about last week, why Pasha's Tazriah comes after Shmini. Be careful not only with what goes in your mouth, be careful what comes out of your mouth. The Torah is concerned with both and arguably spends more time on what comes out of your mouth than what goes into it. It's very strict, it's very stringent, so much so it's as if you violated all of Chumash. But it wonders Rav Druk v'yesh l'hayr, b'neimah hizkara medjah l'ashem z'esha uvarach l'mishay chumshay Torah. Madu'a lo ishtam shechazah b'lashem pshuta, shekom m'sapa l'ashem avar kilo avar kolakot Torah kula. Why do you have to describe it as, it's as if you violated chumshay chumshay Torah, the five books of the Torah. Just say it's as if you violated the Torah. You know, it comes in one volume too. Many of you are holding and following along right now. It comes conveniently in one volume. We call it Chumash. It's made up of five books. But we also refer to it in its total, in totality, as the Torah. So why not just say the Mitzorah, by the way they use their speech, violated Torah. Kola Torah Kula, the entire Torah. Why specifically break it down, Chamishay Chumshay Torah, and need to repeat the word Torah five times? And says Rav Druk, a very beautiful insight. He says, because the Torah is not just telling us, if the message were that if you gossip or slander, it's as if you violated the whole Torah, then you'd be right. Simply say, Kola Torah Kula. But that's not the message. The message is you violated the five books of Torah. What's the difference? Says Rav Druk, consider for a moment each of the five books of Torah and how each of those five books includes a story and a message and a lesson about the power of speech. It's a beautiful essay, we don't have time to read it all inside, but I'll just summarize for you. Bracious, where do we see it? Anybody? You're also hungover from the shul dinner? Just joking, I didn't have any drink. Hungover by joy and happiness and success. Bracious, Sipurim Hanachash, Shadibar Lashanar Isha The Nachash, the snake slandered, and the snake seduced Chava, who in turn convinced Adam. As the Gemara Erechen tells us the whole story there. The, the egregious violation of the snake was using that gift, an unusual gift. Most snakes don't speak. Some people who speak are snakes, but most snakes don't speak. And this snake used that power of speech in order to seduce Chava. You see the power of the violation of Lashonara? Where else do you see it in Bereshah's very prominently, we're going to mark it in a week and a half time. The brothers, they couldn't even speak to one another. They couldn't give each other a shalom aleichem. They couldn't communicate whatsoever. It broke down their entire relationship, their entire communication. They couldn't even talk to one another. 
Yosef shared his dreams, arguably unnecessarily. The brothers then spoke among themselves and gossiped and conspired against Yosef. We have this entire storyline. Pesach is only because of that. What do you mean? Karpas. We begin the Seder, we dip the karpas. We dip the karpas. In the salt water. Rabbeinu Manoach, a commentary on the Rambam says, what's the etymology of the word karpas? What do you use as karpas? Parsley, potato, if you're from Elizabeth, New Jersey, bananas. What do you use for karpas? But you dip the karpas in the salt water. What is the word, where does the term karpas come from? Rabbeinu Manoach says karpas is kesonas pasim. What happened? How did the whole story begin? We sit at the Seder table. This is such a core, core message. That's why I repeat it every year. It's a core, core message. We sit regally and royally at the Seder table. We're down in white. We're decked out in our kittel. The table's set majestically and beautifully. And we lean like aristocrats. And the Seder table, Seder night, it's majesty. Lel Shimurim. It's a night of divine protection. It's an incredible night. We're going to celebrate our freedom and our liberty. We're going to celebrate our elevated status. Am Segula. Our mission-driven lives. But you know what? First, before we can celebrate freedom, we have to talk about what got us to Egypt to begin with. Before we can mark our exodus and liberation from Mitzrayim, we spend a moment, we allude and we hint to how we got there to begin with. And how did we get there? Because when the brothers sold Yosef into slavery, what did they do with that coat? With that colored coat, that katonas pasim, what did they do with it? They dipped it in blood to bring it back to their father to say, our brother Yosef, an animal, he's been attacked. Something happened. So we dip the karpas, pasim, in the water. We do multiple dippings that night, but before we could dip for freedom, we have to first dip to remind ourselves, sin as chinam. You cannot celebrate your freedom and only mark the good part of the story without first remembering what brought us down there to begin with. The murder, the hatred, the enmity. We have to remember, we have to invoke, and we have to learn from it what happened. So says Rav Juk, Sefer Bracious, is there Lashon Hara, Rechilas, gossip, slander, abuse of the power of speech in Sefer Bracious? Absolutely. And we have to learn from it, the Seder table, we learn from it, even yet before we mark and celebrate our freedom. Sefer Shmos, where is it in Sefer Shmos? Miriam, even before Miriam, he says, even before the spies, that's later. Sefer Shmos, Moshe Rabbeinu kills the Mitzri, who we saw strike the Ivri. And what happens? Rashi says they were Dosan Va'avirum and they were slandering him. They were gossiping. They were going to post it online. They were going to post it on social media. They were so excited they'd be able to expose Moshe Rabbeinu. They'd be able to turn the court of public opinion against him. Paro heard about it and he wanted to kill Moshe. How did Paro hear about it? Page six, Daily News, New York Post. One of those, probably, Mukta newspapers. But they heard about it. They read about it. They knew about it. That's how Paro knew. Why? Slander. Slander. You also have in Sefer Shemos, Rashi says, you're not allowed to be Mechabel Lashon Hara. Sefer Vayikra. Where do we see it? We don't stop seeing it. Here, Tazriya, Mitzorah, Lashon Hara, over and over again. Loselech, Rachel, you're not allowed to gossip. Sefer Bamidbar. Parsha Shlach, someone said before the Meraglim, the spies, you're not only forbidden from gossiping about people, you can't slander precious gifts from God, from above. How can you talk negatively about Eretz Yisrael, not only its inhabitants, 
but even the land. And there we have the story of Miriam Anavia and her brother, They're talking, and people think it's okay within the family. You're allowed to gossip about your sisters-in-law and brothers-in-law and in-laws and parents. That's all part of the natural family dysfunction. It's not okay. And Miriam is sent out of the camp, and they all wait for her because she had proven she could wait for us. And that's in Sefer Bamidbar, Dvarim. Where is it in Dvarim? Parshas Motzi Shemra. A man marries a woman, and then he publicly challenges her that she, in fact, was not the status she claimed to be when they got married. She wasn't a Psula, she wasn't a virgin. And he was lying. He wanted to lower his financial obligation to her. He was lying, and he owes a penalty to her father. The halachas of Motzi Shemra, literally Motzi Shemra. We also have in Sefer Dvarim, Ora Makareh Beseser, Vamer Kola Amamein, and Rashi says, what's Makareh Beseser? What does it mean to strike your friend in private? It means Mesapri Lashon Hara. If you speak about your friend, that's what it means to harm them, to hit them, to injure them in private. You're not publicly doing it, even behind their back, you're injuring them by slandering them. Sort of Druk's point is when we say Zos Torah Samatsora, and the word Torah is used five times, the Chazal tell us that we learn from here that if you gossip or slander, it's if you violate all of Chamishay Chomshay Torah, it would have been, you're right, more efficient to simply write, you violate Kola Torah Kula, but it would miss the point. It's not just that it's so egregious, it's not just that it's so harmful, it's as if you violated all Torah, but it means in Chomish, every Sefer of Chomish has several lessons about the power of speech. And if you haven't learned from them, it's like you stepped on and violated each of the five books of Torah. Not just you violated Torah, Kola Torah Kula, but says Rav Druk, through the examples we just gave, it is as if you violated each of the Chamishay Chumshay Torah, you went through each one separately. Zostiyas Torah Matzorah. There's an amazing Medrash. The Medrash says, a story in Tehillim. There was a certain Rochel, a merchant, who was, who was uh, selling his wares in the cities close to Tzipori, and he announced, Who wants to buy the elixir for life? The medicine for life? Who would like to buy the Samachayim? Who doesn't want to live a long life? The fountain of youth here in Florida. Who doesn't want to extend their life and their quality of life? The has a whole back and forth that the real Samachayim, the elixir of life is What's the answer? You're not allowed to speak. Don't gossip. Don't slander. That's the person. You live a long life. By the way, some of the commentaries ask who in their right mind would go up to that merchant? Are we so foolish to think that you could buy or add years to your life because you buy some elixir? You're going to buy some little bottle? You're going to buy some medicine? Now, I laughed when I saw that question they asked because the truth is, like QVC, like the whole, the whole world, every kiosk and every mall, every, everybody, which is just a reflection of how desperate everyone is to extend life, to live life, and to look for shortcuts in life. We could live a long life if we earn it, if we have the merits for it, if we take care of ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally, but we'd much rather pig out and then buy a little, a little vial of some elixir, of some medicine, which will extend their life. It's a funny question they even ask. But Mr. Zalman Meltzer, the Evan Ha'ezel, 
This is Al Meltzer says the following about the Gemara. He says, Everyone thinks there are 613 commandments in the Torah. We know 365, 248, broken up into positive and into negative. So Lashonara is like any other negative commandment. Lashonara is like you can't eat non-kosher, you can't violate Shabbos, and you can't uh, wear shatnas, and you can't, uh, I don't know, all the other negative prohibitions in the Torah. So Lashonara is just another one of them. But Rav Zalman says, no, it's categorically different. It is unusual, borderline unique. Why? He says, People think the Lashonara is like every other violation where what? Even if you violate that negative prohibition, you could still learn Torah, you could still daven, and you could still offset or compensate. You could still extend your life by earning merits. says that if you sit and don't violate Navera, we make it as if you did a mitzvah. All of you are sitting here right now from 9.30 to 10.30 on Tuesday morning. And you know what? While you're sitting here, maybe you took coffee from the back. Maybe you're having a granola bar. You know what you're not doing? You're not eating bacon. Now, would you say you're doing a mitzvah? You're doing the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, I hope. We're learning Torah together. Maybe you did the mitzvah of making a bracha before you ate or drank that coffee or that bottle of water. But is it a mitzvah that you're sitting here right now and you are declining, you are refraining from eating bacon? So the Gemara condition says to a certain extent, yes. If you sit and you don't do an Avera, you're tempted. You, maybe bacon doesn't speak to you if you've never had it, if you have had it. But we're all tempted by things. Tempted to look at the right, the wrong thing and watch the wrong thing and say the wrong thing and go to the wrong place and oversleep. We're tempted by the wrong things. And when we overcome that temptation and we sit passively and don't violate that Avera, Hashem considers it not just that we're neutral, not just that we remain in parav, but the fact that we've shown the will and the willpower. If we can muster up the will and the willpower, even to passively not violate something wrong, it's as if we did something right. That can't compare. How could you compare sitting stationary passively, not violating a prohibition, with putting on tefillin, with giving tzedakah, with volunteering for chesed, with learning Torah? It's different. It's different. So the merchant who was proclaiming, pronouncing, who wants access to the elixir of life, Think about what Shmir Salashan. What does it mean to guard your mouth? Are you active or passive when you guard your mouth? You are. You're passive. I have really juicy, juicy, delicious Lashanara for you. I have something to tell you, it's unbelievable. About someone, you're going to fall off your chair. You're not going to believe it. It's incredible, but you can't tell anybody. It's just for you. That's, you know, the Jewish notion of a secret is something you tell people one by one. <laughs> so a person says, I have such juicy Lashonara, such good stuff. Oh, such good stuff. They say, you know what? Never mind. I'm biting my tongue. I'm not going to tell you. It's wrong. It's hurtful. It's harmful. I wouldn't want it done to me. I'm not going to tell you. So I sit here silently and pass. By the way, there's a whole conversation in my head. I don't even say it to you. In my own head, I'm tempted. I need to make conversation. I have nothing to talk about. I'll look pretty cool that I had this information. Now I'll have someone to gossip about. Let me tell him or her. Let me, let me give the good Lashon Hara. 
And then you say, you know what? In your own head, you have this battle, this conversation, and you say, no, be quiet, stay silent, don't share. Have you done a mitzvah? No, you just didn't do an avera. If you sit and stare down the bacon, you look at it, maybe even smell it, you're tempted by it, curious about it, but you don't eat it. Have you done a mitzvah? No, you just haven't, you just haven't done an avera. So why is this the elixir of life? How is it a samachayim? Samachayim means that you're actively doing something which will prolong your life. This is not something that earns a merit. You haven't done a mitzvah, it shouldn't prolong your life. You passively have abstained and refrained from violating a boundary and doing something wrong. You wouldn't say that if you want to live a long life, don't eat non-kosher. You just say, don't eat non-kosher because it's the wrong thing to do. But it won't give you a long life. So this is the Chiddush, says Ritz Zalman Meltzer. Such a beautiful insight. He says, when you abstain or refrain from Lashon Hara, you're not doing something passive. You're not just abstaining or refraining. You are doing a mitzvah. You're doing something positive, and that's why it earns the Samachayim. It's not like any other Avera that when you don't do it, you're holding in neutral. When you don't do it, you're in the positive. You're now in the black. When you don't do it, you've done something good, you've done something right, and that's why you want a long life? Don't just sit neutral and not do the wrong thing. In this case, in this unique case, not doing the wrong thing is the right thing and puts you into the right place and into the right frame of mind. I'll add my own to this, that perhaps the reason that when you don't speak Lashon Hara, you don't simply remain in neutral, but you've done something positive is because most people don't not speak. Most people speak, they talk. We talked about last week, I think, or two weeks ago, Revolba, we teach children to speak, but we forget to ever teach them to stop speaking. The value of silence, the wisdom of silence, the importance of silence. We don't teach that, we don't emphasize that, we don't reward that. We don't say, yay, you're quiet. We say, yay, you said your first word. It's amazing. But we forget to reward them for silence. Silence is important, but most people don't do it. Most people speak, speak incessantly. In fact, by the way, we'll get to in a moment, but this individual, the Mitzora, what do they bring? What do they do to purify themselves? What happens? The coin shall command for the person being purified, there has to be two live clean birds, cedar wood, crimson red, and hyssop. We're going to examine in a second why. Each of these ingredients are part of the formula of their rehabilitation process. But they have to bring two birds. Why do they bring two birds? Rashi says, Rashi, we're going to have to go to the glasses. Rashi says, Shumaisa patit pitpute dvarim. You know what these birds do? Actually, it's funny. They're chumasham that translate. You know what they do? They tweet. Tweet, tweet, tweet. They twitter is actually what they, proper English word. Pitpute dvarim. They twitter. They twitter incessantly. They twitter unfiltered. They tweet every thought. They tweet, 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 tweet all day long. 
So we bring these two birds. Some of the Mepharshim wonder, why two? How many should you bring? One. You violated Lashonari, you spoke gossip slender, you misused the power of speech, so you bring one bird. You were like a bird that was chirp, 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 chirping. You didn't stop talking. And when you don't stop talking, you can end up saying the wrong thing, hurtful things, harmful things, unintentionally, without malice. But if your default is to be talking, you run out of things to talk about if you don't start talking about people. So you're like that bird, pitupute. You're just chirp, 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 tweet, 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 Twitter. So therefore you bring two birds, but you should bring one. Why not the other bird? So the answer is, some say the two birds, there was the speaker and there was the listener. You violate Lashon Hara when you're the one communicating it, and you violate Lashon Hara when you're the one listening to it. But listen to this interpretation. I forgot where I saw it. He says, you know why two birds? You need to atone for what you said, and you need to atone for what you could have been saying. One bird is for what you said that was wrong. And you know what the other bird is? What you could have been saying that would have been right. Instead of gossiping or slandering, you could have been complimenting. You could have been uplifting. You know what the power of a compliment is? You know what it does for somebody? It costs you nothing. It's so easy to do. And yet it can transform someone's life. You tell them, you look wonderful, or it's great to see you, or you did a great job on that event, that program, that effort, that speech you gave. Compliment for the food, for the effort, to our children, to our spouses, to our friends, to our employees, to our coworkers. We could be using the power of speech to build worlds and build people and to enrich, and to elevate and to empower to inspire. And when instead we use that power of speech and we use that time not to do those things, but the opposite, we're guilty of two things. We're guilty of having used wrong speech, but we're also guilty that in that moment we failed to use speech in the right way. So two birds, two atonements, one for where we went wrong and one for where we failed, where we could have gone right. So if that's the case, if that's true, Maybe that's why it's the Samachayim. The Samachayim is, if you cut Lashon Hara out of your life, then you'll find yourself speaking much more compliments. You'll find yourself speaking much more positive. You'll find yourself speaking much more appropriately. So it's the Samachayim because maybe when you cut Lashon Hara out of your life, you're not sitting and doing something passive. You know, if, if, I, if I stare down that bacon and I don't eat it, so there's a passive sort of spectator not doing the law, not doing the prohibition. Have I done a mitzvah? No. So you'll say, but you didn't eat the bacon, but now you're hungry. So instead of the bacon, you can have a kosher hamburger. Was it a mitzvah having a kosher hamburger? No. I mean, hopefully you washed and you a bracha before and after, but eating the hamburger itself is not a mitzvah. Whereas here, here, if you don't speak Lashonara and you fill that same space and effort, and speech with something positive and a compliment, by abstaining from doing the negative, you will fill it with something positive with is a mitzvah. So maybe that's another pshat. Why it's the Samachayim and why it's different than these other Averos, not just that you haven't done an Avera. Perikidalad Pasuk Beis, going back. The coin goes out of the camp and he looks and he sees Negat Saras Min Hatsarua. 
the tzara's affliction has been healed from the mitzora. From the mitzora. Vuhuva el hakohen. Pasuk says vuhuva el hakohen. I'll tell you an incredible Rabbi Yerucham, Rabbi Yerucham of the Mir. They just had their dinner on Sunday night. Rabbi Yerucham of the Mir. Not he lived the Mir in Poland. As we just said, he tweeted, chirp, 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 chirp. You bring birds that chirp, 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 chirp. What is chirping? We even use that in the vernacular. Somebody who's just speaking incessantly, who's verbose, who's just chattering on about nothingness. Stop chirping. They're chirping incessantly. It's kalos rosh. There's nothing of significance. Eleanor Roosevelt said that small people talk about people, average people talk about things, great people talk about ideas. So we're supposed to use our power of speech to talk about ideas. And this person chirped, talking about either things, or worse, talking about people. This is Rav Yerucham's insight. What does the Torah tell us about the individual? How do they go to the Kohen? How do they get there? Sorry, the end of Pasuk Beis. I was right. They are vehuva. What is vehuva? They're brought. What do you mean they brought? What do you put them on a stretcher and carry them? Take them on a helicopter? Put them in a baby bureau and carry them? What do you mean vehuva el Kohen? They are brought to the Kohen. How are they brought to the Kohen? They don't walk on their own volition, their own two feet. Says Rav Yerucham, the individual who spoke Lashonara, who gossiped, vihuva. They were just swept up and caught up in peer pressure, swept up and caught up in the social pressure to speak, to gossip, to slander. They're living a life of muva, of, of peer pressure, of social pressure, of trying to fit in. Why do people slander and gossip? Why do they abuse the power of speech? Because they're trying to impress, they're trying to fit in, they're trying to be the center of attention, they're trying to look like they have some social commodity of information to share. That's why people do it. They're muva, they're drawn in. People don't sit and say, huh, would this be a good thing to talk about? Will it reflect positively about me? Will it positively help people I care about? And then go ahead and speak about it. They don't do that. Why do we do it? Because in that moment, we give in to that Sahara. We are drawn in. We're drawn in. Vihuva. They are brought to. They're brought to. Rashi brings the Pasuk in Bamidbar, in great contrast to the Mitzorah, Zos Toras, someone else that we have a Torah of, not the Torah of the Mitzorah, but we have the Torah of the Nazir. Zos Toras HaNazir B'yom Alos Yimei Nizro, Yaviyos HaPesach O'Moid. There, in the Torah of the Nazir, it doesn't say Vihuva, the Nazir also needs to complete their process, and the Nazir also needs to make an appearance at the Olamoid. How does the Nazir get there? It doesn't say Vihuva. What does it say? Yavi. Yavioso. Zakdarashi, Yavioso, Yavi es Atzmo. The Nazir brings himself or herself. So Rabbi Yerucham would say, listen carefully, you ready? Rabbi Yerucham would say, if you had a scale 
and you put all the works of wisdom of the world on one side, and the other side, all you had were these three words, Yavi es atzmo, those three words would weigh, would be heavier, more significant than the rest of the wisdoms of the world. Why? She came b'shalosh milam k'tzaros elu, shalrashi, hakadosh munachas kol omek chach masatora. The Nazir is holy, the Nazir is Kadosh. The Nazir takes this vow of abstinence. The Nazir learns to live without because the Nazir craves to live with more, more spirituality, more significance, more mission, more connection and closeness to Hashem. What drives and moves a Nazir to live that way? The Nazir doesn't want a fine bottle of wine. The Nazir doesn't want to be willing to be exposed to Tummah. The Nazar says, I'm going to live this ascetic life. I'm going to live without because I want to live with more, with more ruchnius. You know what drives the Nazir? What gives the Nazir the discipline and the capacity to live that way? Because the Nazir is Yavi es Atzmo. The Nazir carries himself, herself. They're disciplined, they're driven, which is real freedom, by the way. That's also one of the themes of the Seder. One of the themes of Pesach is that Discipline, freedom is discipline. Discipline is freedom. Freedom is discipline. Discipline is freedom. That when you're undisciplined, you're not free. If you want more money, you have to be disciplined with money. You want more free time, you got to be disciplined with time. You want a longer life and better health, you have to be disciplined with your health. That's why we have the most bizarre celebration of freedom in the world. A kid finishes a young person finishes their college exams. What do they do? They party all night. No rules, no barriers, no boundaries, no limits. Persons finally arrived at that vacation from work. What do they do? No rules, no limits, no barriers, no boundaries. What do we do? Freedom! We're out of bondage. We're going to mark the end of 210 years of slavery. What do we do? Everyone, please take your seat at the table. Please look at the agenda. Kadesh Urchatz, Karpas Yachatz. Everyone take out your measuring devices. Make sure that we have the exact requisite amount of wine. Eat the right amount of matzah in the right amount of time. How do we celebrate freedom? The night of freedom with Seder. By being organized and disciplined. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Because the Torah understands that discipline is freedom. It's not that a lack of discipline is freedom. Discipline is freedom. Discipline financially, you have more money. Discipline with your time management, you have more time. Discipline with your health, you have a better quality of life and more health. Discipline is freedom. Seder is freedom. Yavi es atzmo. Be disciplined. Move yourself. Be inspired yourself. Be disciplined yourself. What led someone to become a Mitzorah? Vihuva el hakohen. They were brought to the Kohen. They're an object. Soloveitchik Zatzal had a beautiful drasha where he distinguished between the human being can be a chefza or a gavra. We, the human being, can be a chefza, we could just be an object that gravity pulls us down, or we can be a gavra. If I drop my glasses right here, gravity will make them fall. But a human being, I could lift my arm and I can go against gravity. Objects don't go against gravity unless there's a human force. So are you a chefza or a gavra? Are you just going along for the ride? Are you passively an object that's in motion? Are you vehuva el Are you drawn into the pressure of whatever is around you? 
They're gossiping, they're slandering, so you join that. Chirp, 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 chirp. Are you vehuva? Are you drawn in? Or are you viavi? Are you able to be disciplined and self-control and sovereign? Become a gavra, gavra rabba. Don't just be a chefza. Be something that's so much, so much more than that. That's Rav Yerucham. What a great insight. The distinction between the mitzora and the nazir. The distinction between the muva, the huva, and the yavi. Very powerful distinction. A friend of Zaydel Epstein, Zatzal, Mashkiach of Torah, or a Talmud of Rav Yerucham, also has an insight on these words. He says the following. He says, it's a Musa that Rav Zaydel heard from Rav Yerucham. So it's really two Rav Yerucham's in a row. He says, This is the most complicated, complex, detailed, difficult rehabilitation there is. We have all kinds of forms of Tumah. We have people who make contact with impurity. We have people who become contaminated. Take two of those, say three of these, and you're good to go. And yet, this Mitzorah, it's complicated and detailed and arduous. So hard. What happens? First, they're quarantined seven days. If they don't get better, they need another seven days of quarantine. If a sign of Tumah comes, then they have to sit. They have to sit outside the camp and their clothing is torn and they're not allowed to sit with other people who are impure. And if they merit and these signs of Tumah heal and the day of their Tahara comes, now you begin with the process of rehabilitation. The birds and the hyssop and the washing of the clothing, and then you need seven more days, and then you shave all the hair of the body, and then you bring all these carbonos. This is complicated, difficult. You gotta take off time from work. You gotta find the money to buy these ingredients and these animals, these sacrifices, and your entire body and being go through what can be a humiliating process. Shaving every hair in your body, it's wild. Why? Says Rav Zedel, in the name of Rabbi Yerucham, you know why? You're in the hospital and you have the opportunity to tour the operating rooms. And you look into different operating rooms and in one operating room there's two instruments. And in the next operating room there's 30 instruments. Where do you think the more complicated surgery will take place? Which patient do you think has the more complicated life-threatening illness? The one that needs two instruments? The one that they've reserved that operating room for 20 minutes? Or the one that the operating room will need to be used for eight hours? Obviously, the more complicated, the more difficult, the more complex, the lengthier, the more dangerous, lethal, the more intense it was that needs to be healed. Says Rabbi Zaydel, in the name of Rabbi Rucham, the same is true over here. It's true that we have all kinds of tumma, all kinds of contamination, but what do you see from here? From the formula of rehabilitation of the Mitzvah, you see that this is the most intense, this is the worst, the deepest form of impurity. You see that Lashin Hara, which seems benign and innocuous. Lashin Hara, okay, so, uh, okay, so you gossiped, you slandered. Gemara tells us there's nobody alive who doesn't fall prey or struggle, at least with Avak Lashin Hara every day. Okay, so a little Lashin Hara, okay. When I was a kid in Teaneck growing up, there was a guy in the shul who would say, I don't repeat Lashin Hara. So listen carefully the first time. Who doesn't talk a little bit of Lashonara? So you think it's benign, everybody does it, it's impossible to avoid it, so what's the big deal? So the Torah comes along and says, it's a big deal. And how will I let you know it's a big deal? 
because I'm going to make it the longest, the most expensive, and the most complex recovery process. And you will know it's a big deal. That's what Chazal tells us in the Medrash Tehillim. Kasha Lashon Hari Yosem Megimel Averos Avod Azar Gila Raya Shvichus Domin Shahar Horeg Horeg Nefesh Achas Hamesaper Lashon Hara Horeg Gimel Nefashos. When you speak Lashon Hara, you kill three. When you murder, you only killed one. Who are the three who die in Lashon Hara? The subject, the listener, and the speaker. All three have compromised themselves. All three are harmed in the process. So a person who murders, it's terrible, of course, severe. They've murdered one life. But a person who shares Lashon Hara, they've compromised three lives. So therefore the Medrash tells us it's even more chamur. It's even more kasha, migimel averos. And that's why, said Rabbi Yerucham, this process is so expensive and arduous and difficult to tell us how serious it is. Perak Yudalad, Pasuk Dalad. Moving right along. Betziva HaKohen, they take all these different ingredients. One more Eshtamid. One more Rav Druk. Eitz Erez. Why? Why does the Mitzorah bring this cedar and hyssop in the process of recovery? Says Rashi. Why is one struck with, Lashen, with uh, Tzaras? What did one do wrong? Where did someone go wrong that they then get Tzaras? What precipitated it? In other words, Tzaras is the symptom, but it's not the disease. This is so important when you study Parshas, Tazriya, and Mitzorah. Tzaras is the manifestation. Tzaras is the presenting symptom. But it's not the illness. What's the disease? So Rashi tells us, You know what the disease is? Arrogance. Arrogance. Person who gossips or slanders, the person who bullies, person who uses their words wrong, wrongly, they abuse the power of speech. Such an individual is arrogant, egotistical. They think they're the center of the universe. So that's why, says Rashi, Shnitolas ve'ezov matakanaso v'isrape yashpil atzom megeuso ketolas uke'ezov. What do they use for the purification process? Cedar wood, crimson thread, and hyssop. These are all lowly. They're all considered to be very lowly. From the worm. Says Rav Druk, Mavur ki takanaso refuoso shal matzori shiaspa atzom megeuso Tsaras is the symptom. Tsaras is the manifestation. But what's the illness and disease? It's arrogance. So that's why, what's the response? What's the best thing for an arrogant person? Is to be brought low, brought down. I don't mean brought down that you destroy their life. The way people describe, I'm going to bring him down. But brought down means humbled, to be humbled. That's why says Rodruk, this individual who thinks they're the life of every party, they monopolize every conversation, they need the spotlight to always be on them. This individual, you know what will bring them down? You know what will humble them? You know what will rehabilitate them? Badad yeshev michutz You think you're the life of the party? You monopolize every conversation? You suck all the energy out of the room? You know what you need to do? Badad yeshev. 
You need to sit alone. You can't even sit with the other people with tzaras. In a leper colony, the lepers can be together. The danger and fear of the contagiousness of leprosy obviously doesn't affect those who already have it. So in, in a leper colony, lepers can sit together. But here when you have outside the camp a group of mitzoros, each of them have spoken gossip slander, each has abused the power of speech and they now suffer from tzaras, can they at least enjoy one another's company? The answer is no. Because part of the rehabilitation process is aloneness. Not necessarily loneliness, but aloneness. Other forms of tumma, someone's tumus mace, someone became contaminated by contact with a corpse, can they be together with someone else who has tumus mace? Sure. A yoledas, a zava, zava, can they be together? Yeah, why not? And yet, this mitzora, you over here, you over there, you over there, no contact. Solitary confinement. All alone. Aloneness. Aloneness. You know why? However, who hivdil balashanara bin ishla ishta bin ishla With your lashanara, you got between a man and a wo- his wife, a woman and her husband. You got between two coworkers. You broke off a shidduch. You spoke negatively about a neighbor. You harmed a business deal. Not talking about with each of these scenarios when it's permissible and whether, when you have a responsibility to share. Talking about when it was clearly lashanara. So badad yeshev. Because, and this is so important to understand, that saras is only the symptom, the illness is arrogance. How do you heal arrogance? With humility. So this individual is michutz lamachana. They sit alone. Aloneness is a time to reflect and to think and to feel and to crave connection and contact. Now you know what you made the other person feel. When you are the subject of Lashon Hara, you feel so alone in this world. And there's nothing more punishing than that. That's why in the prison system, what is the worst, most severe punishment? Solitary confinement. It's the worst. And the person who is the victim, the subject of Lashon Hara, they feel all alone. They question all their relationships and friendships. They wonder who was talking about them, who was listening to it, who was sharing it, who believes it. And they feel so alone. And so the one who violated, the one who did that, has to know what that feels like. So we put them all alone. We make her sit all alone. We make them know and experience what that's like to be all alone. What that means to be all alone. You know, we just finished a period. I hope we finished. I hope and I daven that we finished. A period of aloneness, of quarantining. We didn't have tzaras, but for two years, people are quarantining. Diagnosed, you have to be alone, it's contagious, you can't go near, you can't make contact. Thank God we have technology. I don't know today, could the Mitzorah FaceTime another Mitzorah? Could the Mitzorah living Mechutzlamachana FaceTime their family? It's an interesting Shaila. I don't know. On the one hand, physically they're not together. On the other hand, the vision is that they are separate and alone. I don't know. I don't know what the answer would be halachically. We had the gift of technology to never fully be alone. But there were people alone for a yantif or in a hospital and they couldn't take visitors. And all of us, most of us, went through periods of quarantining, even if we didn't have corona ourselves, but we were exposed to people who did, and then we had to quarantine and lock down. And we know what that loneliness is like. 
that should make us much more empathetic people. If we come out of Corona and we don't understand and value being together anymore, then what was it for? What did we go through? Then we didn't learn its lessons. If we don't feel more empathy and sympathy for people who are alone, having now known what that's like, then what did we take from it? What did we learn from it? How did we grow from it? What was the point of it all? Maybe we can look back from it and understand and appreciate that there was something to learn from that experience, not only to have suffered through. Revolba also has an insight here. The great Mashkiach Revolba. For the person being purified, two clean, live birds. Rashi notes that these birds are part of the process. Why? Tweet, tweet, tweet. Chirp, chirp, chirp. The person acted like a bird. And the Pasuk in Bracious, when we were first crafted and created by Hashem, when He first mixed the materials and the ingredients together to create man, how did He bring us to life? How did He make us living, vibrant, dynamic, animated beings? Vayipach piapav. We became alive instead of just being a golem. We weren't just a corpse. What gave us life, what brought us to life was, he blew into our nostrils the soul of life. And Rashi explains that although the Torah refers to animals also as living beings, man is superior. Man is the pinnacle of creation. Why? What do we have over animals? The ability, the power of speech. Now I know the whales and the dolphins, they make high-pitched noises to each other, and some dog owner here is going to write me an email or tell me afterwards, you don't understand, my dog speaks to me, my cat understands me, my uh, parakeet can uh, imitate me, I got it. But it's a very primitive, primitive communication. It's not the power of thought, mindfulness, self-awareness, and the power of speech. Speech is a tool that gives a person the ability to connect with others. Speech, philosophers describe, make man a social creature. We can connect with each other and we can create, connect with Hashem. You know, the Mephoshim point out that <coughs> the Targum says, <coughs> we had the power of speech, that's what differentiated us from animals. We were given the gift of speech, that's differentiated us. With whom were we meant to speak? When Adam is created, all there are are animals. So with whom is he meant to speak? The answer is, there was someone to speak to, namely, Hashem, God. What do you see about the power of speech? The original intent for the power of speech, the original motivation for the power of speech is to speak to Hashem. Ah, now that we have the power of speech to speak to Hashem, it's pretty convenient that we could also speak to one another. But if you ask, what's the main driver, what's the main reason for the power of speech, it's not to speak to one another. It happens to be that we can also speak to one another, but the main reason for the power of speech is to speak to Hashem. So it's not that I speak all day and I talk, 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 yap, 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 tweet, tweet, tweet all day, and then, oh, I should find time to daven, even though I don't really connect to it, but I have to. It's that I should use my power of speech to talk to Hashem, to unburden myself on Him, to confide in Him, to thank Him, to ask Him for things. That's why I was given that gift of the power of speech. Oh, now that I have the power of speech to talk to Hashem, I should also use it discerningly, judiciously, to talk to the people around me. Halacha dictates that when you say Shema and Shemona Esrei, we have to be mashmi la'azno. The halacha is you're supposed to say it, not to yourself. Even though Shemona Esrei is called the silent Amida, one is still supposed to hear themselves. 
one shouldn't be so loud that they disturb the person next to them, but they should be so loud that they can hear themselves. Why? Because that's real speech. When you say something out loud, when you make it real, now you're confronting the real words you said. You don't bluff your way through them. They're not just in your head or your heart, but you enunciate and you say them. Rav says that's the pshat in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Gimel, Gimel. Mishnah says, Shnaim shiyoshvim v'yesh b'neim divrei Torah, shechina shora b'neim. Two people sitting and learning. The divine presence dwells among them. I have to tell you a kutzker. I don't have a kutzker on Pashas Mitzorah, but I have a kutzker on this Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. I love this kutzker. I love this kutzker. The Mishnah says, Shnaim shiyoshvim v'yesh b'neim divrei Torah, Two people sitting and they're not studying Divrei Torah. So, what does the Mishnah say? Something terrible about them. Two people sitting and they're not studying Torah. It's like a table of whatever. But two people are sitting and studying Torah. But two people are sitting and studying Torah. Then Hashem comes and He joins them. He pulls up a chair. He says, you mind, you have room for another? And then you have the divine presence there yourself. So Kotzka says, we're reading it all wrong. Don't read it. Read it. Two people who are sitting. And ain beinayim. There is nothing between them. No one feels superior to the other, better than the other. No one's driven by their sense of ego or self. Ain. What is between them is Ain. Divrei Torah. That's Torah. Shnaim Shiyoshan Yesh Beinayim. The two people who are sitting and they feel a sense of Yesh between them. Feeling of Yesh. There's a feeling of Yesh. They exist and there is someone and there's something and they're better and they're greater. Then there's no Torah. Kutzka reinterprets the whole Mishnah very, very beautifully. But back to Revolba. So Revolba says, why should it be that two people sitting and studying in Torah, Shechin is Beinayim. What about one person? Is there no value? Sit and learn on your own. Is there no value? It has to be with another, with a Chavrusa. So Revolba says, certainly when one person studies Torah on their own, they fulfill a mitzvah. But if you want the Shechin to be Shora, you have to use the power of speech positively, which is to articulate Torah. When a chavrusa are going to talk Torah between them, when you say a dvar Torah out loud and you share it with another, Kodesh Baruch Hu pulls up a chair. When you learn on your own, in your head, to yourself, you've done a mitzvah. But Hashem says, you're good, you got it, keep going. But when you articulate, when you verbalize, when you express the Torah, when you bring it into this world, when you use your power of speech and your words for Torah, then a Kodesh Baruch Hu pulls up a chair. You see this also with the power of vidui. You see this with the power of vidui. Vidui is the core component of tshuva. Tshuva without vidui is not tshuva. And mitzvah zos, we're going to read and say for dvarim. We read that a mitzvah zos, it feels so far away. But b'ficha v'avavcha la'asos, the Ramban says, what mitzvah is it? B'ficha is it's the mitzvah of, of vidui. Vidui, confession. Confess to Hashem where we've gone wrong and what we want to fix. Why do I have to say vidui? clap achet and say vidui out loud. can I just think in my heart, Hashem, you could read my heart. You know I'm sorry. I have regret and remorse. I feel bad. Why do I have to say it out loud? The answer is only what we say out loud. Only what we articulate. Only what we confront is it real. Only then do we take it seriously. 
Only then is it meaningful. Only then is it meaningful. <coughs> Only then is it meaningful. So this is the power of speech. The power of Parshas Tzaras reminding us, reminding us of it. The power of speech. Hey, just so we could say we turned the page. Oh, we didn't turn the page. It's all the same page. We'll get there. This individual, part of the rehabilitation process is they have to shave their entire head. All their hair. Sorry, where's the Pasuk? Thank you. Thank you. Says the Yosef David Azulai. Says the Why does he have to cut all of his hair off? Shave all of his hair? Why is that part of the process? Are we trying to shame? We're trying to bring shame, humiliate, embarrass this person? Maybe that's consistent with the idea that they were arrogant and they need to be made humbled. Maybe, maybe. But the Chida has a deeper idea. Where does Lashonara come from? You have a judgmental eye, a stingy eye. You say, you know why I'm going to gossip about them? Because they're doing so well, I want that money. They stole my parnasa. Or I deserve the honor, not them. So you go over and you say, the honorees at the dinner? Eh, it's nice they chose them. Eh, I'm sure they volunteered. But do you know about them? Do you know what I saw them do? Do you know what I heard about them? They're not so great. Those nice things they said on all those videos, ah, eh, they had to. Trying to raise money. Needed honorees. But you know the truth about them? Where does it come from, Lashon Hara? Because when you think someone else has something you deserve, you deserve the honor, you deserve the money, you deserve the happiness, you deserve the marriage, you deserve the nachas. And you're jealous and envious and judgmental. So you end up gossiping about the other person. So what is shaving your head? How is that rehabilitative? How does that repair or teach you not to be that way? So remember what Hashem told Eov. He says that every hair comes out of a separate pore in the skin. And if two hairs would come out of one pore, a person would go blind. Every hair has its own, every follicle comes out of its own pore. One hair is not infringing on another hair. Each follicle has its pore to come out of. And similarly in life, Kaddish Baruch who nourishes and provides and gives each of us what we need. And there is no competition and one is not drawing from the other. But each one has exactly what it needs. I want to end with one last thought. I was going to tell you an amazing Pia Zetzner. April 13th, 1940, the Pia Zetzner's drusha in the Warsaw Ghetto. But we don't have time. So instead I'll tell you one other thing. One other thing. Now we'll turn the page. Turn a couple pages to really impress you. Page 624. Tsaras of the house. We have Tsaras of the body. We have Tsaras of the clothing. And we have Tsaras of the home. 
He says, do you know why Eretz Kanan is called Eretz Kanan? Eretz Kanan, Kanan comes miloshon hachna'a. Hachna'a means humble, lowly, modest. Hachna'a. Hatanai li Yerusha sa'aretz hi achna'a. Vahavana shekol yeshiva seinu bahi from Hashem. You need to be humble to merit Israel. Arrogant, ego, inflated people who are self-assured, that's why it says, I'll give you tzaras. You, when you enter Kana'an, you were supposed to practice hachna'a. But what happened instead? You thought it was Eretz Achuzaschem. This land, you're not entitled to it. It's not coming to you. You didn't earn it. You don't own it. Hashem says, it's my land. I gift it. I lend it. But practice some hachna'a. Practice some humility and modesty if you want to keep it. That's what went wrong in this Pasuk, says Rav Zalman that we entered Eretz Kena'an and we were meant to have Achna, and instead we saw it as Achuz Aschem, we saw it as our own, we acquired it, we worked for it, we showed off about it, we flexed about it, and that's why Hashem says you have to be humbled. So the Pasuk says when we enter the land, not only do you get this ailment on the skin or clothing, but even on the home. And Rashi suggests that as opposed to those who get who get tzara'as on the skin, with nige batim, one should consider it to be a besora tova. Ooh, good news. Did you hear? Your house has Chinese drywall. You got to demolish the whole thing. Isn't that great news? Mold, there's a leak in a pipe in the wall. You have to fight an insurance company. Great news, you have to demolish the rooms. That's great news. Rashi tells us why, what happened. When they demolished the walls of the house, what did they find? The practice of the Canaanim was to hide their wealth in the walls of the home. So when the Kohen confirmed the person's home was indeed afflicted, what happened? It had to be dismantled. It had to be demolished. And when you took apart the walls, what did you find? These hidden treasures. So you thought it was bad news that your house had saras. You thought, what was me? There's a leak in the pipe. I've got mold. But no, it's besorotova. Great news. You're going to discover riches and wealth. Treasure is hidden in the wall. Now it's very puzzling to understand. Why would Hashem reward someone who has this ailment? Nige batim come from chemdas mamon. Gemara tells us in Erechen, the, again, the underlying illness. A symptom is taras on your house. But the disease is chemdas mamon. Greed. Craving more material things. Why would Hashem reward this person? Why would He give him good news? person who spoke Lashonar, the arrogant person, has to suffer humiliation, loneliness, aloneness. But this person with the Chemdas Mamon, this person who was greedy and craved money endlessly, Hashem in fact rewards them. Good news! You're going to have to dismantle your house, but here's the good news. You're going to find treasures hidden in the walls. What's the story? So think about the following. I once heard. The person who's done these Chataim, whose house is afflicted, is forced to first go to the Kohen and announce that he thinks his house has this plague. And then what does he have to do next? He has to take all the possessions from his house and lay them in the yard. You have to empty up the house. So when you empty out the house, you're going to have to take everything out of the house. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's time-consuming. But you know what else it does? 
Everything you take out of the house and you take inventory of everything you have, you know what it makes you realize? Just how blessed you are. Wow, I forgot I even have this. Oh, I didn't know I had that. How many of these do I have? Wow, I'm incredibly blessed. I'm incredibly blessed. As the owner goes through the process, maybe there's embarrassment and humility. Maybe it'll make them more modest. Maybe it has that rehabilitative process. But you know what else it does? It makes a person feel as how rich and blessed and how many treasures they have. Why do I share that with you to end the Parsha class today? Because I think that one can bring the same attitude towards cleaning for Pesach. That instead of feeling I have tzaras, I gotta clean for Pesach, I'm afflicted with this illness and ailment, nebuch on me, I have to go through my whole house, I'm miserable, I have to clean, say, wow, how rich and how wealthy and how lucky and how fortunate, look how much I have to clean. I don't live in a studio apartment, one room with one space that I can clean by looking around and I'm done in four seconds, wow, Baruch Hashem, how many rooms I have to clean. Baruch Hashem, how many pieces of furniture? Baruch Hashem, how many possessions? Baruch Hashem, how much chametz I have that I could have made its way around the house? The same attitude, the Besorah Tova, the good news that Nige Batim could have represented. We don't have to empty our possessions to the front yard or the backyard. We don't have to demolish or dismantle. But when we do go through and check our house, when we take an inventory in life, it's an opportunity not to complain or feel miserable, but it's an opportunity to count our blessings and to feel just how lucky and fortunate we are. Wishing everyone a Chag Kosher Vissameach. Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of Mesilus Hashem, 8.15. 8.45 is Living with Amuna. Tomorrow night we're going behind the Bima with Coach of Auburn, Coach Pearl. You may remember he had a great news conference recently where he spoke, he was asked about Ukraine and he spoke, to all, about, spoke all about Purim and his Hebrew name. He's our guest tomorrow night on Behind the Bima. Till next time, stay healthy, stay happy, and stay holy.